Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another fantastic edition of Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Today is a fantastic day because even though it's cold as balls outside, uh, I've got a friend on the line and fellow podcaster, fellow veteran, fellow Patricia, Todd Heisey. Brother, thanks so much for being here today, man. Mark, thanks for having me. You know, four years ago, you started me off on the podcast. So, you know, four years later, the Veteran Hunters, we've put uh, 300 guys through the program and it is just, it's just been incredible. So thank you for that initial push and, and help to get the uh, the organization, um, you know, recognized by others, not within Alberta, but across uh, Canada and into the United States. Well, it makes me happy, man. Uh, it's, we're all helping each other help each other. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you've had, you've had me out on a couple of hunts. It's been, you even got me on TV for God's sakes. It was cool. Exactly. I was going to say you're, you're on season one of the, of the veteran hunters TV show. And, uh, and I, on the I was the, of- I was the star of course. Well, yeah, because you showed that you can take a John Wick 12 gauge and kill a turkey through brush. So yeah, you just, I, and I use bug articles about that. <laughs> I have this expensive Benelli and this barrel. You just took a short, a shorty and made it work. So good on you. That's, that's what Patricia's do, Todd. We uh, improvise, right. adapt and overcome. So uh, yeah, I showed up with, if anybody's seen John Wick, uh, he uses a Caltech KSG uh, pump action tactical shotgun. It's, that's what I used with buckshot. <laughs> In that episode, we'll be putting, we've been putting up a select number of full episodes from season one. And so the next one that's going up is that one with you using the John Wick uh, uh, shotgun to take down that turkey. So why, you know, go to the Veteran Hunters YouTube channel and uh, it'll be posted soon and you can see Mark in action. So my, and, and giving, uh, a great, giving a great interview about Operation uh, Tango Romeo back then. So, yeah, that's right. Um, uh, they gave, that was my first uh, television plug that I got for the show, and I had like twenty five episodes or something like that. And now I'm about. I think this might be two seventy. It's up there somewhere. But um, you know, that, that TV show has been a real um, uh, help to the organization. Uh, it's gotten the word about us across the country. You know, we only put out six episodes a season. Um, we've gotten some great feedback that our show is completely raw. Uh, to be honest, we, we don't know what's going to happen on the hunts, so the viewers don't know either. If we don't, see, nothing is scripted. Um, you know, I've got a great uh, cameraman, editor, and producer, Liam Dunning, the son of a veteran, um, and uh, and I'm basically now executive producing and hosting the show. But it's been it's been great for us to go out there and, and highlight, you know, what our volunteer hunter hosts do. And then we and then we get people to connect with us. Um, we're getting 155,000 viewers a week, 
uh, on the show. And um, uh, we just need to translate that into fundraising. And uh, but, you know, it's great to get emails from wives, uh, you know, saying, hey, I was watching the show with my husband. How can I connect him with you? What can I do? So, and I get, you know, I'm getting goosebumps just, just talking, thinking about some of those emails that I get because, you know, that's what it's all about. The veteran hunters, you know, we're out there actively hunting for veterans. Uh, we're using hunting as a form, you know, of, of therapy, but really it's the hook to get the guys connected with their fellow brothers. We've all been through the journey. Um, and my journey took six and a half years and uh, which is okay. Because, you know, I learned a lot. Veterans Affairs at the time learned a lot from me. And I've been through a lot of struggles that helps me, I hope, encourage others um, to, to push through, you know, their journey and, and make it to the end and become the better you. And that's a big chunk of what I do with the show is I'm an aggregate for resources. So... <laughs> When you and I, when I first had you on the show, it wasn't Tango Romeo, it was the Mankey Show podcast. That was the first show that I did. I did about 65 episodes or whatever. And then I kept straying into this lane anyway, providing a platform for veteran resources. And um, I thought, you know, I can't juggle flaming chainsaws. Uh, so I'm going to focus instead. And instead of having two shows, I'm just going to have one. And decided to focus on this scope as well bringing resources to the veteran first responder community. And I'm really, really glad I did um, that I went into this niche because it's working, you know, um, as long as I didn't, I don't quit, which I, I haven't. I'm almost at 270 episodes, which, uh, you know, as a fellow podcaster is a lot. Very, 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 very few stick it out. Most people quit, but I'm just not a quitter, I guess. Um, no, and you know what? And to, to just to, again, to like, you know, talking about paying it forward. So you helped me get into the podcast. You helped me, you know, you know, push the organization as well from a um, uh, multimedia facet, use that term. And then um, I helped other guys. So there's, you know, so we should all be getting kickbacks from road for their podcasters because I think you helped like at least me and three or four other veterans um, develop podcasts. Um, and so, and some of them may not, you know, be as regular. We've kind of, um, our podcasting has kind of dropped off just because we've picked up with the TV show. Um, and I'm still in office of one and we need to change that. But, uh, um, we did a lot of podcasts the first, uh, two seasons. And I think our first season we did 35. Um, and there's a lot of good stuff in there and we still refer people to it. Um, you know, the conversation with my wife and I is one of our most popular podcasts where she talks about her own journey. Well, I was going through, um, you know, my journey, getting diagnosed uh, and going through treatment. She talks about how she as a spouse walked along beside me, um, not behind me. She walked beside me and and helped me through the therapy and as well helped and part of the reasons why I went through 6 years was I used her as an honest broker and made sure that she met with my psychologist uh quarterly to make sure that we were focusing in the right areas and there were a few times where they were like oh he's done he's good and she's like what are you talking about she's like he's not he's not good not yet and um you know and it's great and um yeah and now she and now um she's going through her own EMDR uh, treatment for some of her own uh, childhood trauma uh, 
you know, as well. So it's, uh, it's interesting to see how everything comes like full circle. And here we are four years later, back on your new show and, uh, and congrats to you. Like it's been awesome and I'm, and I'm, I'm happy for you. So. Thanks brother. Well, there's no end to it, right? Uh, just like there's going to be no end to the veteran hunters because people need help and they need community. The injury is isolation. The injury is separation. Separation from who you are, who you want to be, who you used to be, and separation from others. Because if we are having anger outbursts or any kind of big emotional outbursts, well, we don't want to be around people because so, we don't want that to, um, we don't pe- want people to see it. So we hide. And sometimes we hide in a bottle. Sometimes we hide in the closet. Sometimes we hide in a, uh, in a big rig and travel the country just to stay away from people. So if isolation and separation is the poison, the cure is community. And when you are sharing the experience of be, of being in the outdoors, of harvesting animals, there is nothing that brings people together in a, in a healthier way. It's it's beautiful. However, those that don't hunt or don't know ethical hunters, like it's not just part of their peer group. They don't get hunting. They don't get it. So I wanted to start there, Todd. What are um, what have you found as some of the biggest misconceptions about hunters and hunting? Um, so I'm fortunate that I have a very good relationship with a number of ranchers uh, here west of Calgary, and that relationship has been founded on you know trust and honesty. You know what? And being a veteran um, has certainly helped open those doors. But you know, um, I've spent time with these ranchers in social settings and they get to see who I am, um, that I'm, I'm honest, I'm moral, um, very respectful of the land. Um, and when I'm on their property, I treat it as if it's on my own. So I carry fencing, you know, fencing supplies with me. So if I see the elk have knocked down some high wire fence, um, I'm repairing it and they've come, they've come by and, and seen me, seen me or other veterans with me doing it. And, um, and in some cases we've offered, you know what, um, if you, if you need any fencing done, we'll come out and do it because it's interesting enough, like just being in the outdoors and even like repairing fence for most ranchers, that's just nauseating because they've been doing it for like 50 years. Yeah. But for a veteran like myself and others, um, it's actually therapeutic. We can bring our dogs and hang out. This is a, you know, a non-hunting time of the year, but we're out there just, you know, giving back um, to the community that, that is now giving to us. Now, down to answer your question, a lot of these ranchers that I've dealt with um, have been very leery about allowing hunters onto their property because they have dealt with a number of unethical hunters or people who, um, and when I say unethical, I'm using terms like people who trespassed, people who um, didn't abide by the rules on the property. So they didn't properly close gates. Um, they, you know, um, well, even uh, people that, that have uh, cut wires, cut fence. Yeah. Cut fence or they have discharged their firearm in the direction of cattle or that kind of stuff. Right. So they're just not been, have not been respectful to the land uh, and to the, the landowner. 
And that's one of the that's been one of the biggest issues I think within within Alberta. I mean, we're talking about a province that probably has about ninety mm, percent of the province is privately owned. Um, that's extremely problematic. And there's been a number of surveys that have been done um, about you know how easy or difficult it is to get access for hunting or private land. So I think one of the biggest one of the biggest issues that that hunters um, have to overcome in this province, and not only in this province, but I think it's across the country and into the United States, is making sure that, one, we're policing ourselves and we're ensuring that we're being ethical and, and moral and with and respectful with uh, when it comes to our hunting practices and, um, and voicing that. And in some cases, you know, policing ourselves. Um, there's been some articles that have been written that in some cases hunters are our own worst enemies. You see guys attacking other guys on social media when they're posting, you know, beautiful photos of the animal. You know what? For me, um, I'm respecting the animal when I take a photo of it, and I make sure it's poised properly. I've learned a lot from a really good friend, Rob Birch at Royal Crucifaries in South Africa, where I've had the fortune of hunting there twice with my family. And I've learned a lot about hunting and respect for the animals when it comes to, especially when it comes to taking the photos, guys taking photos of a, of a deer bleeding out in the back of your pickup truck and posting it on social media does not help the hunting cause. Take a few minutes, pose the animal nicely in its natural environment. Um, and if you don't know how to Google it, go online, look at other guys' photos. And that's one of the things that I make sure when I'm, when I'm hosting a veteran or a first responder on a hunt, I take over right away and make sure that the animal gets posed properly and it's given it's given its due res, its due respect. And I think those are two areas where we as we as hunters um, need to make sure that we're one policing ourselves, but also policing others uh, and um, telling telling the good stories and the right stories. Um, because unfortunately, you're right; the antis only ever focus on you know, the bad stories or, you know, this poacher got arrested or, you know, et cetera. And they don't see any difference between poaching and hunting in some cases. Well, that's yeah, perfect segue. That's exactly where I wanted to go. But before we talk about the difference between poaching and hunting and how they get conflated all the time, there's a Michael Vada here in the comments saying, uh, asking if there's, if the veteran hunters is operating in Ontario. Are you? So Ontario is a big black hole for us. Um, we just brought on board a uh, fellow in Quebec. So we're going to be, so we have uh, uh, BC. I've got four guys there, Alberta. I've got another four, possibly five. Um, we have uh, one guy in Manitoba who's actually uh, has family in Manitoba, but he's one of my BC hunter hosts. Uh, and then we skip right over Ontario into Quebec. We have one guy, um, we have a civilian organization that we can feed people to um, in in New Brunswick, um, and then I have a hunter host in Nova Scotia, and then one in Newfoundland. Ontario, it seems to be um, one is we call it the kind of the bit of the black hole, but two, um, we get a lot of guys who come from Ontario who fly or drive out here every year and want to hunt elk um, because it's Ontario. Uh, Ontario a number of years ago purchased about 300 elk from Alberta and their elk did exactly what our elk do is they went straight for private land. <laughs> and, uh, and so of course, then you run into those issues um, 
I mean, I've, I still have uh, extended family have a number of farms in Ontario. And um, so I know of the issues about private land access in Ontario. And um, so a lot of guys uh, will come out here and with our hunter host uh, licenses here, you know, we can host uh, guys from out of province and out of country. Um, and uh, they get an opportunity to get a non-resident elk tag. And, and it's easier for them to actually come out here and hunt elk than it is to hunt elk in Ontario because I guess it's a once-in-a-lifetime tag. Wow. And, uh, and they're on private land. Where we can, the, there's, there's areas where we can hunt them under general. You don't even have to have a draw. Yeah, like I'm, I mean, I'm hunting elk. Um, well, I can hunt elk actually right out from inside my front gate. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't. But, uh, you know, where I do hunt elk is about 20 minutes from my home. So um, I should say more like chase elk, you know. But uh, <laughs> I've been fortunate. I mean, I've been able to help like seven guys harvest elk, and I still haven't harvested one of my own. But um, well, but we'll, that's have, all, we'll have to get on that all, there, brother. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. This this elk herd that uh, that I'm fortunate to hunt on private land is a herd of about, uh, it amasses to about 600. Um, and uh, but I haven't taught anyone else yet how to hunt this herd. Um, it has its own dynamics. It has its own unique characteristics that you don't find in any uh, outdoor magazine. Um and so uh, one of the things I realized is that I'm not going to harvest milk with this herd until I teach someone else all about this herd. But, it, you know, but it's good because of being a former officer, one of the things that I really enjoyed, you know, in the infantry was being able to serve my men. And then, you know, uh, with the veteran hunters, I'm able to serve others again. So, Well, having that well, sense of purpose is, oh, what just happened? Our audio went weird there for a second. But having um, a sense of purpose is one of the big, big, big parts of transition from military to civilian and recovery in general. That sense of purpose that we have while we're in uniform, it's kind of impossible to, to really duplicate. So because you can't duplicate it, you have to replace it with something else, with, with something different. But as long as it's still a sense of purpose and a sense of serving others, uh, people that try to duplicate it with nothing but um, entertainment. You know, like I hear people, well, you know, I'm not too worried about early retirement because how much golfing can I possibly do? It's like, well, if that is all you can think of to do with your time is to serve yourself by going golfing, I mean, that's cool. If if you love golfing, I mean, go go have fun. But if you're not serving others, if you're not helping others, that that's not purpose you know that's no, just that, that's just that's just entertainment and there's lots of there's lots of medical studies uh psychological studies that have been done on the on the benefits of giving and, and serving as opposed to receiving i mean just i mean we're kind of christmas around is you know is coming up later this week and just think about it i mean you feel more you know warmth inside when you when you give that person that gift and see the joy that it brings to them um more than when you receive it. Um, and, uh, you know, talking about sense of purpose and stuff, you know, I never realized that when, you know, my wife Patricia suggested that we start to veteran hunters, that it would, it would be so much like, you know, my roles in the military, uh, as a former infantry officer, you know, I do the administration so that my hunter hosts can, can take 
you know, people out in the field. So just like, you know, platoon commander doing his paperwork so guys can go to the ranges and get all that stuff done. It's a necessary evil. You know, I'm, I'm fundraising. I'm, you know, um, trying to gain political capital, um, doing the TV show. So I do a lot of behind the scenes stuff so that, you know, my hunter hosts who are basically, you know, my sergeants out there in the field can do what they can. And, you know, I still host guys on a case by case basis. Um, I'll probably be hosting less, but, um, uh, but it's still, you know, cause the organization's growing, you know, I'm, I'm um, with us expanding now into Quebec. So we're going to be like in six provinces um, possibly seven and I've got over 20 volunteers throughout the organization. So I'm moving on to almost being like a, you know, um, commanding officer, you know, uh, of an organization as opposed to being the platoon commander now, you know? Um, so, but it's good. You know, I like to see the organization grow. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of interest of us, uh, you know, starting a chapter in the United States with the number of Canadian veterans that have, emigrated there for education or work or um, uh, as well as other um, law enforcement down there. And the thing that's with the unique about the veteran hunters, that's even different than our American counterparts is that every one of our hunter hosts have themselves been through their own PTSD journey. So we're not, we're not sending a guy to an outfitter and paying for that hunt. We're sending a guy with another guy who's been through the exact same PTSD journey. And we ask people when they're applying for their hunts, if you can give us as much information about your own journey, we'll match you up with, with a, with the host that we think geographically for, you know, works. Um, that's best, best suited for you. And, you know, it's interesting, like I've uh, hosted a guy from corrections. Now I haven't worked in corrections and, and, you know, my, my hat off to those guys that, that deal with those prisoners. Cause I probably shoot them if I worked with them. But anyhow, um, he, he, you know, he and I had totally different backgrounds when it came to work, but very similar um, PTSD stories with respect to moral injuries um, and a and a utter failure of leadership above them, and um, and I, and I can't imagine working in a prison and and seeing you know prison administration like failing the guards, um, but. Uh, but yeah, and so um, yeah, so the, so as much as people are willing to to share with us, and we've got a bit, a bit of a process. So you click on our website, and you click apply, and a Google form comes up, and you fill that out, and it comes to me. I review it, and then forward it to the appropriate hunter hosts, and then they contact you by phone and and email, and then uh, kind of work it out. And you know, every adventure that we send. Um, a veteran or first responder on is uniquely tailored to their needs. And in some cases that can change while you're on the hunt. Um, because a lot, we've had a lot of guys that let's say they want to harvest an elk, right. But then they see that herd of 70 coming out and I'm bugling with the bulls and they're listening and seeing all that. And they suddenly realize that that was all the therapy that they needed. It wasn't the, you know, the elk on the ground and the photo and, and being able to put some meat in their fridge. Um, but it was, you know, being part of an extremely unique and personal relationship that animals like elk and turkey, like, allow us. They allow us into their, into their world. And, 
you know, I've studied the behavior of the elk that I'm fortunate to be able to hunt and it's very unique. And I've been up close and personal. Like I had a, um, a young bull, like walk up to me five feet, <clears throat> five you know, within five feet of me. And it was like, Hey, you got some dog treats for me. And, uh, oh, you know, man. it's just, it's just, yeah. Like if I never harvest an elk, um, I'll be okay with that because I've had very unique and personal experiences with this herd of 600 um, to the point that sometimes I think they, they, they're almost, it's going to sound weird, but almost accepting me as part of that in at that environment um, because they've seen me so often. Yeah. What, what people don't understand is that when you're hunting, you become part of the ecosystem. Mm. You know, instead of just being an observer of nature with your camera, which is totally cool, it's wonderful, yep. but you become a participant, just like a wolf or a bear or a cougar, you know, um, and we participate in nature and you see nature very, very differently and you understand it at a much higher level when you hunt as opposed to just blindly going, going down these hiking trails hoping to see an animal. It's, it's a completely and totally different experience. And you see different animals in a different way. Because unless you're using the skills of a really adept hunter, you're not going to see what hunters see. If you're just a, unless you're a wildlife photographer and like a professional wildlife photographer, they experience the wild the same way that a hunter experiences the wild. And um, if, if you're not doing, if you're not experiencing it that way, you're just a tourist. You're a tourist, not a participant. And it's so, so different. When I've taken people um, into the forest and had them sit and explain to them why we're sitting at night and, and not moving for 20 minutes, and I explain to them, in about 10 minutes, you're going to hear the, start hearing the forest come alive around you. Because right now the forest knows that we're here. If you sit and don't move for 10 minutes, the forest will forget that we're here and you're start, you're going to hear everything. And I did this with some young kids and then, uh, about 10 minutes later, you can start to hear everything around the forest. Um, all this wildlife that uh, you wouldn't hear otherwise if you weren't still. And then a moose walked right past us and uh, that never ever ever would have happened had we been tromping through and 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 being loud so they all had that oh my gosh uh feeling because of becoming part of the forest instead of just a um a tourist becoming an actual part of it so i want to talk about the get just dive a little bit deeper about the impact that your organization has had on the veterans so tell me about, uh, you know, without naming any names or <laughs> to protect the innocent or to protect the guilty, um, but um, tell me about people at the beginning of the hunt and the difference between who they are at the beginning of the hunt and who they are at the end. Tell me about some of the transformations you've seen, because I know you have. Yeah, so um, the the beginning of the hunt... Um, for example, you know, um, recently this year, had a fortunate uh, to have a fellow fellow Patricia, uh, fellow officer. Uh, fortunate enough, uh, we started this, planning this opportunity about a year ago. Flies out, spends a week with me here in my home, and we basically run our home as if it's a B and B. 
during hunting season. And we allow, you know, a certain number of veterans or first responders uh, to stay with us while I'm hosting them. And we run it just like, you know, my buddy does in South Africa. And it's a great, uh, we have a great home and property here that helps facilitate that. And, um, you know, in, in, in Troy and I hadn't seen each other in probably 20 plus years. We actually played hockey together at RMC. And it's funny. We have some funny stories and, uh, just different career paths. You know, he ended up, um, um, you know, going to parachute, the parachute center in Trenton, captain of the Skyhawks team, that kind of stuff. And, um, just, you know, in just different career paths. And, um, and so we reconnected about a year ago and had been chatting and planning this, planning this hunt. And we, we timed for him to come out so he could spend a couple of days right at the beginning, beginning of the week, uh, at our annual, uh, pheasant festival that we have, uh, in Carcers, our bird, Alberta, courtesy of, uh, Wessex, Wessex game birds. And, um, Cabela's Bass Pro, uh, the Outdoor Fund, which has been great, a great sponsor of ours. Uh, I can't say enough good things about um, about the Outdoor Fund, and um, and so I think a lot of it is guys they don't know what to expect, um, you know, um, and so in some ways, you know, and anybody with PTSD or anxiety can understand it, it's like totally out of your comfort zone, right? You know. We haven't seen we haven't seen each other in like twenty plus years. Gets on an airplane, flies out here. I pick him up, and it's interesting. And for me, like he looked exactly the same way he did like twenty years ago. And I said, "Hey, man!" I said, "You look awesome. Your arms are still huge and everything, and <laughs> super fit." And and um, and and just right from the get go, I think was just for me. I know because I know that's the way I feel myself when I travel for a hunt. I've been fortunate to be hosted by, um, you know, outfitters here in Alberta uh, on some veteran hunts. And I know what that feels like. That anxiety for me driving up to Nordegg for, for a hunt. Um, so I'm trying to really put the guy at ease. And um, and we're just reconnecting. And then um, the, next, the next two days is just connecting him with other veterans and first responders out out here and just getting a sense of who the veteran hunters are and letting other people kind of share their stories about um, what the organization kind of has done for them. And then through the next week, Troy and I were hunting elk and like chasing elk and we had some great opportunities and filmed it as an episode. So you'll see it next fall as season two. But I think one of the things for him is one he showed up with not sure what he was going to get, but by the end of the week, um, the, the, the compassion, the caring, the love, the, the attitude of service that, uh, that I and Patricia, um, showed towards him, um, just opening our home and our hearts, um, to him. And we've done it to other veterans that at the end of the week, basically, you know, to echo some other veterans that have stayed with us, done a week long hunt, you know, um, you took away my nightmares and you gave me, gave me new, you took away my nightmares and you gave me, uh, new, beautiful memories. And I get goosebumps and and I'm not making this up. Like you can see the quotes on our own websites. For for those that don't know, a lot of us suffer from nightly, nightmares. Uh, it was one of the worst things that I had to deal with, contend with. And 
about nine months ago is my best guess. I should have marked out the date, but they just stopped. Um, I mean, I, I was waking up two, three times a night. Um, and that's the definition of nightmares, a disturbing dream that actually wakes you up. But I've gone like nine, ten months, and it just isn't happening. I'm not getting woken up with these horrible nightmares um, at all. I'm not having them. And yeah. that is such an incredible, incredible relief where I'm not scared to go to sleep. Yeah, no, I was just going to try and pull up a copy of our annual report, but I've got some great quotes in there. And um, yeah, just uh, taking away my nightmares and, and giving me and giving me new new memories. And um, that's uh, huge. We you know we've had a fellow this year. Like we were fortunate this year, we were able to have uh, five hunts in Manitoba, first year for Manitoba. And, and some of the posts that guys have put on, on Instagram, basically like, you know what, if you're not hunting with the veteran, if you're a veteran and you're not hunting with the veteran hunters, there's something wrong with you. Cause these guys are awesome. <laughs> and, um, you know, all my, my volunteers are literally that volunteers, you know, we try and raise enough money to cover the expenses that guys incur. Um, but my volunteers like, uh, are being healed as well continually by, giving of themselves to serve these other guys. And then they see the healing, like, you know, some of my new hunter hosts, um, like Danny, who hosted the guys in Manitoba, um, uh, great experience, sheep hunter, uh, family in Manitoba. So he's like, can I start doing hunts in Manitoba? I'm like, Hey man, totally it's a black hole right now. Do it. And he was like, man, he goes, well, you, what the veteran hunters are doing, it totally works. It's like, I'm, I'm bought into it, you know, just after like, a, you know, one hunt. And so he is now like, you know, um, doing all kinds of stuff to help, you know, spread the, you know, grow the organization in, in Manitoba and connecting with, you know, a member of parliament there, Dan Mazier. Um, and, uh, and we've had, you know, we've had a couple of great conservative members of parliament, Dan Mazier in, uh, in Manitoba, Blaine Calkins uh, here in Alberta. Um, and as well, Blake Richards, who you, who, you know, um, has personally helped me in the past with some of my struggles with, uh, veterans affairs and department of national defense. And, um, and we're hoping to meet, uh, this week to kind of do a bit of a veteran hunters update, similar to what we're doing right now. Well, if you're meeting in person, let me know. I'll, uh, I'd like to join you. Um, you know, I'm just waiting to hear back from Megan, but anyhow, um, so yeah, um, trying to think of some other, um, but a lot of the stories are very similar. Um, it's similar beginning guys got some anxiety. You can see it, uh, unsure of how things are going to go. And then you see through the two to three days or up to a week, um, the, the transformation to use that word to, you know, they're leaving and they're super excited they're like, man, I'm so glad I did this. What you guys are doing is fantastic. Um, and one of the things what we're going to try and do is um, my daughter does all our social media, and she's in. She's helping to start uh, a fundraising campaign, and we're going to. And it's one of it's a pay it forward campaign, and we're going to we're going to try and harness that, you know, emotion post hunt, um, your transformation emotion. You know, you're, you're getting rid of those nightmares. You know what? Pay it forward. And help us raise some money. Um, we're looking at, you know, as part of the pay it forward, is that every person who's participated with us can help raise five hundred dollars for the next guy. 
And, you know, we've put almost 300 people through the organization. And, um, and so unfortunately it, you know, things cost money. Um, and yeah. And the biggest expense for me is just trying to make sure that, you know, my volunteers, you know, get their fuel co- costs covered and that kind of stuff. Right. Cause we're putting on kilometers to help these guys. I just and, realized uh, that I might be able to get you some access to Southern Manitoba around the boys of Vane area. Uh, oh, awesome. I, I know somebody with a very, very large farm down there, like north of a thousand acres. So might be able to help you out with that. Yeah. And, and, and if there's anybody listening or watching in the Ontario area, that's, that's actually truly interested in being a hunter host. Um, you know, I've got, I've got family farms of about 2000 acres that have whitetails and turkeys on it. So I can facilitate the access. Um, but we need to, need to have the volunteers. And, uh, and again, it's, it, it's all volunteers. So if you take, you know, if you take one guy or if you take um, 30 guys, um, I don't recommend the 30 guy thing. I have one year, one season. And you I don't have to be uh, a guy by any stretch. No, and you don't. And I use the term loosely, um, but um, we've had one female participant in like the four years. So really that low, that's, that's too bad. We need more women in hunting. Um, my, you know, my daughter, my daughter hunts, um, all my kids do. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's been really cool because, um, for us, the veteran hunters have been very much a family, a family affair. So like I said, my daughter does our social media and is working on, um, transitioning into the, uh, the fundraising piece for us with, uh, with the new campaign. But both my sons have, uh, accompanied me on, on hunts and, uh, you know, very much, uh, uh, little brothers, to these other veterans. And now my son, my eldest son, he's serving uh, as a reservist uh, combat engineer uh, in Calgary. And, um, and then my youngest son is looking at uh, Navy reserve uh, port inspection diver. So well, it was good to meet your boy. And it was just before he, he was just in the beginning getting ready to uh, join. And uh, my oldest is in the recruiting process right now for the Calgary Highlanders. So that's uh Looking forward to that. Must make you a proud dad to see uh, uh, your kids following in your footsteps. Yeah, totally. Um, what makes me sad is the is the current state of the forces and how, uh, because of some leadership issues at the very top. And um, Wayne Aaron. served. served <laughs> I served with Wayne, and I served with many others. And um, um, their poor decisions have cost, you know, the forces like 20,000 soldiers. Yeah, they, um, they've ended a lot of careers unnecessarily. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Just they to, don't necessarily, and they don't necessarily want to go there, but I just. No, we're, we're, it, we'll, it, we'll, we won't go any closer to it than that. But, uh, you, but uh, we, we both know what we're talking about. Yeah. As a former officer, um, it really, it really troubles me uh, to see a great, a great army with great people um, being marginalized. Well, getting back to the inclusivity, the veteran hunters is definitely an inclusive group, despite the, uh, the lack of ladies that have shown up so inclusive. In fact, you even allowed Van Dues to participate. Now that's inclusive. Yeah. uh, You're trying to Mark Bilodeau. That's Um, right. He's a great guy. Mark's Mark's a great guy. Um, um, He's had a few more, uh, 
spinal surgeries. Oh, so God. one of the things with the fundraising campaign is we're looking at um, this year, um, I don't know if you've heard of them, the Action Track Chair. And it was actually created by two American veterans, combat engineers out of Iraq, I believe. And they basically took the counter IED robot and strapped a chair to it. And so this is uh, all-purpose tracked uh, chair. Can you uh, please connect me with those folks? Because I'd like to see if I, there's a way to get one to Christine Goche. Uh, Christine Goche, uh, a veteran, Paralympian, Invictus Games lady. And uh, she's now wheelchair bound because of injuries that happened during her service in an obstacle course. I'm in the midst right now of getting her an elevator built for her uh, wheelchair access for her house in Quebec. So yep. if we can up that a little bit and also get her an action track chair, if, if she needs one, you know, that would be pretty amazing too. So tell me more about this action track chair. Sorry to inter- yeah, so interject. Track chairs. So there's a, the Canadian distributors here in, here in Alberta. Um, and so one of the things we're going to do is we're going to try and um, raise some money. They're about $25,000 a piece. So um, not, not cheap to, to get someone back into the, you know, the, uh, the outdoors. But, um, yeah, and so, you know, guys like him who, you know, have got multiple fused vertebrae or guys who, you know, um, have lost their, the use of their legs, whether it's from an IED or other accidents or whatever, or first responders, you know, um, now we can bring that to the Pheasant Festival and guys like Mark can come and um, basically um, participate. And, and that, again, that's just removing any of the barriers. And that's one of the things I see as, you know, as my role as kind of the, as the head of the organization, but also as a former officer, is that, you know, removing the barriers so my guys can perform at, you know, the top level and removing barriers so that we can get maximum participation. And, um, and so we put that in our annual report and we send it out to stakeholders that, you know, we've got a couple of projects and an action track chair this year is one of them. Like I said, it's not cheap, $25,000, and then we're going to need an enclosed trailer to, to store it in. Um, but uh, we'll, be, we'll be putting out some requests to um, some of the hunting organizations here in Alberta as well as across the country to try and you know, raise some funds uh, for that as well. No, that's fantastic. Uh, getting people out of the house is key. One of the worst things you can do to, to anybody at any stage of their mental health is keeping them cooped up um, and isolating, which we were talking about at the beginning. Isolation is the pain. Isolation is the injury. Uh, getting people out of the house, connecting, if not with other people, at least connecting with nature, uh, connecting with other people in nature is even better. Um, but you got to get out of the house. You got to get moving. Um, just being cooped up and locked in, uh, it, not good. Not good for for mental health or physical health, and which work hand in hand, regardless. So let's talk about the impact that the Veteran Hunters has had on you personally, Todd, um, from when you first started uh, to where you are now. Uh, and let's start with the hunting experience itself. What what does the hunting experience mean for you, Todd Heisey? Um, I think one of the things for me is that um, I didn't realize, you know, um, I enjoyed, like, hunting. And I used to hunt a lot when I was going through my own 
my own treatment. Um, I hunted by myself or, uh, or I had my dog with me. And so I did everything pretty much solo. And, um, now I don't like hunting solo. Um, <laughs> and so, so that's one aspect is that, um, I really enjoy the camaraderie. So it's kind of, it's kind of, okay. Uh, it'd be like, well, duh, because that's part of the organization is to connect guys, but I'm one of the guys. So I'm connecting myself with other guys. And so, um, and so now I have camaraderie because when I went through my treatment for six plus years, I didn't have any other veterans. I didn't have another organization to connect with. I had my wife, I had my children, uh, my extended family and my church and um, our small group from our church. Um, but I didn't have really any other veterans. And, re- and it wasn't until I started the veteran hunters and then the podcast and I started, you know, meeting, you know, getting to know you and Bryce and, Scott and, uh, and Rody and other guys, um, Taryn and, you know, I, I could name like a hundred guys now sure. um, that I call friends. And, uh, and, and so for me, I don't want to go back to hunting solo. So that's one of the things to, um, I didn't, uh, think we would probably have as great an impact on people is what we had the the testimonials that we've received that are from people's hearts. I don't think I expected to be that impactful as what we what we have been, um, and that is you know truly a blessing you know from God and uh, and we're very thankful um, that we're able to impact people in in that way. Um, I didn't think it was going to be as hard to raise money. I thought being a vet, being the only veteran organization of our kind in Canada, that we would have lots of other organizations uh, or businesses across the country um, um, willing to support us. Now we have some great partners. Um, like I mentioned, the outdoor fund with Bass Pro Cabela's Vortex Canada has been a great partner. Um, the Grand Valley Safari Club here in Cochrane, they host our annual fundraising dinner, which we're having uh, January 28th um, coming up. But I thought, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just um, naivety or just um, spent a lot of time growing up um, or spending time in the, in the Southern U S had family and had family down there. So I knew you know, the level of service and the culture in the United States. Well, let's talk about some of those barriers, Todd. Um, sure. Cause I, I know some of your stories we've, I've, I've listened to you tell yeah. them. Yeah, and so let's talk about some of the barriers and it gets back to the original question of the misconceptions of hunting and the misconceptions of firearms, the misconceptions of injured veterans with firearms. Uh, there, there's some people that go and you've heard, what are you talking about? Veterans of PTSD? And you're giving them rifles? Are you insane? <laughs> well, I'll put I would I would put it back to them. I'm gonna be very frank because I'm because I'm I'm personally I am getting tired of this Hollywood perspective of PTSD. Yeah. I'd be more concerned as a civilian with the number of law enforcement officers that are caring every day that have serious trauma. Yeah. And I know a number of them. And, and has and it's nothing personally against them. Um as military guys. As a, and I'm going to speak specifically from an infantry perspective, right? 
So we join knowing what we're going to be asked to do. And we're trained and conditioned to, down to the fact that the figure 11 target is a man running at me with a rifle. Scary Jerry. Yeah. Uh, or we called him Herman the German. And uh, I can say that because I have Pennsylvania Dutch background. So, yeah. anyhow. My so, nominist uh, Meinke. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyhow, uh, so we're conditioned psychologically, physically, from the moment we we choose to go into the army and the infantry knowing that we're being trained to go to war. We're being trained to enact violence on another person. Most law enforcement officers join to keep the peace. They want to serve to serve and protect, right? That's on all those Hollywood police cars that we see from, from LA or New York or whatever, serve and protect, right? So they're not conditioned mentally or physically to take a life only in the only in the protection of themselves or of another in fact the silhouettes that they shoot at are that they're silhouettes they're not even they're not even representing a human right whereas ours is down to like we see the eyes so many of the veterans in my experience that i have um hosted spoke with or whatever have injuries related to failure of leadership so moral issues, um, their, brother, their brother's letting them down. It wasn't necessarily the Serbs shooting at me or the Croats murdering us or, or whatever. It was, it was the senior officers above us and general officers above us that sent us in harm's way and then took away all our tools, so to speak. Um, and so... Expected uh, us to do our job with both hands tied behind our back. Right. And so for, for me, and this is one of the things that, that I'm, that's a question that I'm starting to get personally tired about answering is that um, I have the least bit of concern from hunting with someone who is ex-military with a firearm. Now, the bulk of our, our my hunting personally is done both bow. I live in an area where we have over six weeks of archery season. Um, now we do we do rifles, we do shotguns. It's in our annual reports. We actually did more rifle and shotgun hunts than we did bow um, this year, which is fine. Um, I genuinely have no concern uh, about giving a firearm to a, a veteran. I'd like to echo because, that. Um, like, if I'm in the field and it's with a <laughs> I try not to separate veterans into groups, but honestly, if you have a rifle and you're in the woods, and you know, I prefer being with somebody who's a combat arms veteran, especially infantry, because uh, I'm completely comfortable because I've already been in a war zone where we all had 150 rounds with us or more, grenades, rocket launchers, 50 cal machine gun on the top of the carrier. Uh, nobody shot anybody. <laughs> and there's no um, accidental discharges, uh, nothing. Right. Uh, so I have, I have extreme confidence with somebody that is already uh, traipsed all over a war zone with with an army rifle and all the ammo in the world and never had any problems. So uh, it gives me great confidence when I'm with those people in the in the field as well. I've ridden with police officers um, and uh, become good friends with some of them. And um, one, det- one detachment that I rode out of, they had three negligent discharges within inside the detachment. Oh, my God. Um, you know, and 
my understanding, no disciplinary action was taken. But the other hand is that I personally know law enforcement officers who are not allowed to store their fire personal firearms at home, but yet they carry one on their hip all day long. Yeah. And that's well, in this country. I got, this is way back when I was in the third battalion. Uh, a friend of mine was an auxiliary RCMP and he took me out and ran me through the firearms training that they have just with the, with the pistols. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I got top scores and I'm just an okay shot with a pistol. Like I don't got a lot of time behind a pistol. Um, but just from the little bit of training we do in the, in the army, cause we're all rifle training and, and machine guns and stuff. We don't do a lot with the pistol, just enough to be competent, but I aced all the, uh, the qualifications um, and that shouldn't be it. And he says, yeah, but half the people fail this. I'm like, what? This is easy. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, the moral of the story being is that the, the level of training for firearms with police is just not what it should be because they don't expect to ever have to pull it out of the holster in, in a 30 year career. But as a soldier, you expect to be pulling it out of the holster on a regular basis. To the point that we joined, we joined wanting to like, yeah, you know, um, until it actually happens. I mean, um, I found getting shot at was both, was both exhilarating and terrifying at the same moment. Yeah. I kind of like that part. Yeah. Um, the only fortunate part was I didn't get to shoot back. That's, yeah, you know what, too. that's still a frustration. I have like, Oh man, I wish I could have shot back, but you know, that helicopter pilot, but anyhow, um, <laughs> Air Force guys, anyhow, but you know, I mean, um, my comments are not, in any way meant to be derogatory towards no. law enforcement or first responders. It had not. I told, I have total respect for what they do. I've ridden, I've ridden with them. Um, they, especially the RCMP officers, they, it is still one guy on a horse. I have been in places with a good friend of mine who, served, who has served for 15 years with the RCMP and I was his only backup. We had no cell phone communication. We had no radio communication and we were in the middle of nowhere. Um, and yeah, that night I would have been his only, his only backup. And we were, and we were dealing with, you know, belligerent people, you know, by ourselves. And, and it's, um, it's not the people again, it's back to the lack of leadership and an organization that does not properly train or equip their people. So. No, absolutely. The um, greatest injuries that we receive is from moral injury. And the bulk of that is sanctuary trauma amplified by uh, poor leadership. Because the people that are supposed to have your back, instead of having your back, they stick a knife in it. And you've experienced it, I've experienced it, and it's the common theme, unfortunately, within the military. Uh, Not brother to brother, but from the top down, it's common. And we we know that it's common. And... um, what that does to a person when the people that you're supposed to um, be able to trust with your life are the ones that are actually causing harm. That's a lot, but back to the veteran hunters though. So uh, back to the beginning of our conversation, what's the name of the TV show is the, is the TV show, the veteran hunters? Yeah, it's, it's the veteran hunters um, runs uh, sportsman's channel Canada. And, um, so our season two, we did, we finished filming it, um, 
We'll be editing it, editing it um, here in the new year, and then it'll go to air uh, Q3, Q4 of uh, 23. And um, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's been a lot of a lot of work doing the TV show, um, and we're only doing you know we're only so far we've only filmed six episodes, um, and um, you know it's interesting we, we kind of we try and plan out the episodes a year in advance, and it, it never goes to plan. <laughs> <laughs> but at least we know. I'm um, part of it's all based on you know um, draws or um, calendar and availability and dates and things that come up and um, um, and I don't want the show to ever be you know the Todd Heisey show. Um, yes, I'm I'm the host, but I want the show to be about um, the veterans that are participating in the hunt or the first responders. And in, in season two, um, really excited about this season. It really showed, I think it really showed um, what the veteran hunters um, can offer as an organization. We really focused on the hunter hosts this year, um, following a number of them on hunts um, and um, why they're part of the organization. Um, what do they benefit from the organization from a from a holistic and a spiritual perspective and um we you know we start we'll start the year uh we started the year with a with a bear hunt and then we did some turkey hunts um we've got archery elk hunts rifle hunts for for elk um you know our pheasant festival um which is always we will always do a pheasant festival episode because one of the things i think it's great because it shows um a group activity uh, it shows a number of veterans and first responders, um, different groups of first veterans and first responders over a two-day period, uh, you know, hunting pheasant. Um, and if you're starting out in hunting, actually participating in one of our pheasant hunts or the pheasant festival is a great way. Um, we have a number of uh, firearms that we can loan. Um, you don't get up super early in the morning. It's not like waterfowl. Um, have, you had, have, you had, have you had any double amputee or amputee uh, veterans join you? No, we have not had um, anyone in in that category. Um, well, that speak? Yeah. Uh, there, there's plenty that hunt, so we'll have to we'll have to get that fixed. Tom Anderson lost his legs on my tour. Uh, double amputee from a landmine strike, and he likes to hunt his moose into Newfoundland by. So, oh God, that was the worst Newfie accent in the history of well, the world. So we've got um, Ryan Edwards. He's our hunter host in Newfoundland. Has been making some great relationships with uh, with a couple outfitters um, out there. Um, we're actually they're donating a couple hunts uh, for us to auction at uh, okay. the fundraising dinner, um, and we're actually going to auction, um, you know, hunt with a veteran. So you're you're going to pay to go out hunt in Newfoundland, and uh, we're going to have a veteran that will join. Uh, join the hunter uh, on the hunt and Ryan will accompany accompany them both. And um, yeah, it should be a great, um, uh, a great time well, and, for, a great, and, a great, and a great learning and education. Well, for um, your next fundraiser, Todd, I, there's two bands in Okotoks, really good bands. Both are uh, veteran friendly and will perform for free to support a veterans organization. And one of them has a veteran in the band. So just let me know and I'll, uh, I'll hook you up brother. Well, I should connect you with my brother-in-law, my your your former fire team partner there, Dan. Um, Dan Jones. Like they're gonna host, yeah, they're going to host their uh, um, 
their concert again um, this year at Drumheller. Um, they did one last year. They brought up three bands from Mexico. Um, and uh, they'll probably be doing that uh, again this year, but expanding it. So, um, Well, I'm, yeah, buddies so with, I'm buddies with Paul Brandt now, so maybe I'll give Paul a call. Yeah, and um, no, it's a great... Uh, it's a great thing that 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 uh, Dan's doing, and then we we bring the our veteran hunters booth there, and we kind of set up and uh, um, sell um, some of our uh, merchandise, but also just bring awareness to who we are. And um, yeah, made uh, made a connection with with one veteran at that concert, and so um, uh, an old second battalion uh, guy. So um, yeah, so yeah, if you have any bands in. Um, do you think would be interested? Uh, yeah, connect with connect with Dan and because uh, um, I my understanding is that they're looking at doing their concert again um, um, this summer and they do it right on their property. So we're talking uh, about Dan Jones, uh, my former fire team partner, and uh, he is the owner of Raptor Ridge Campground. There's your plug there, Dan. Raptor Ridge Campground in the Drumheller area. A fantastic premium, brand new campground area in one of the most sought-after camping areas in the province, in the Badlands of Alberta, Raptor Ridge, run by Dan Jones. There, that's a pretty good plug, I think. Yeah, and where they do the concert is right down in the Cooley, and it's a natural amphitheater. Uh, I mean, that place, Drumheller is known for their natural amphitheaters, you know, especially with the passion play that they do there uh, every year. But, um, yeah, Dan was my... Dan was my driver, uh, best man at my wedding, um, and then um, married my sister. They met at our, met at our wedding. So um, he's one of my yeah. favorite human beings. Oh yeah, it's great. We we chat for a bit, and he's been getting out, we uh, getting out hunting. Uh, him and Mike Smith, and Mike was my gunner, and uh, they've both gotten out hunting a few times in the Viking area. So outstanding. So how do um, what are some of the ways that people can support the veteran hunters? Uh, one way is to provide you some land access to host the hunt. So what is a, um, a hunting host? What does that mean and what does that entail? So the hunter host term, one of the things is we, we got the term because we're, we're not an outfitter and we're not, we're not hunting guides. Um, and if we were, we wouldn't actually be able to do the, the, provide what we provide to, to residents um, of Alberta and across the country just some of the legalities around, around the hunting um, that's been changing. Um, but uh, yeah, so we use the term hunter host, which is an Alberta uh, term. Um, the legalities of hunter host means that you're allowed to take a non-resident um, up to two non-residents on a tag um, hunting in the province. And so we took that term one um, because of the, the legalities around it, but two, it actually, really I felt was most appropriate is that we're hosting uh, veterans and first responders um, on these hunts. And, um, and so our hunter hosts are, are themselves veterans and first responders who have gone through their own PTSD journeys. Um, Most of them have, most of them put in as much of a career um, as they could within the forces um, or within the, law enforcement, the bulk of our hunter hosts are, are veterans. You know, we have a few, um, uh, law enforcement guys, uh, but most of them are, are veterans and, um, but have a passion for and are experienced, uh, hunters themselves in a variety of different, um, 
animals. So we have guys who specialize in, you know, the three different species of, of bighorn sheep. Um, we have guys who have a passion for waterfowl. Um, we have guys like myself uh, and Matt and a few others who um, were your elk guys. Um, and we all, and it's interesting, like with elk, they're each, each species of elk is unique. How you hunt them is unique to the environment in which they live. So Matt hunts his elk or takes hunt, or takes veterans on a hunt for elk differently than how I'm able to. Um, the, uh, and um, I do a lot of the turkey as well as the, uh, the pheasant hunts um, at Wessex. Um, so, yeah, each each hunter host is um, got their own unique skill set, just like the trade that they were in the military, um, just like their own their own personal journeys, um, and we're distributed across across the country, and um, um, and yeah, and that's just not the hunter host. So we have a chaplain um, that helps serve the organization, and he's a pastor, full time pastor at a church. Uh, in the Edmonton area, and he brings a whole skill set uh, and tools that he's able to access um, for being a pastor of a church. And um, and whether you're a religious person or not, it doesn't matter. Um, he's able to um, provide an access services. We had a we had a veteran uh, connected with the organization uh, that attempted that attempted suicide, and we found out about it connected to the chaplain with him. The chaplain had, uh, had hospital privileges, uh, was able to go into the ER, intercede on his behalf and get him into, uh, counseling, 12 counseling sessions, uh, right away. Whereas if he had gone through veterans affairs, it might've been a few months before he was waiting. And, um, and so that brings a lot of horsepower to the organization that in the past, when we're been looking for sponsorships or writing grants that we probably didn't, um, properly articulate, articulate or, or quantify the benefits. And, and, and I'm getting better at that, especially with writing the grants, doing the grants and connecting with um, um, the bureaucrats within, uh, within government. But um, yeah, so there's a lot that the organization brings. We have a medical advisor, we have a legal advisor, we have a financial advisor. Um, well, and I can't think of any other province that it would have been even possible to start this organization. You know, um, as difficult as it's been uh, f- for you and some of the weird obstacles that you've had to face, like for funding, uh, uh, back to that question, you've had people that promised you funds and then changed their minds for because of misconceptions of hunters and hunting. Yes, yes exactly. Yep. You know, uh, and it was like, what were some of those comments? I had already said one, but if you could tell me more about well, we had we had one organization, so their local branch um, supported what we were doing. Um, you know, to about five thousand dollars is what they said they were going to support us. By the time it got to their regional command, the fellow who called me from the regional command, who was a former veteran himself, albeit Air Force, said, "I love what you're doing personally, but um, no, we're not going to support this request for funding." For you because we don't believe that I don't personally believe that veterans with PTSD should be handling firearms. And I'm like, okay, but you know what? I have medical professionals, multiple medical professionals that have gone on the record on our podcasts who say quite the contrary. So who are you to say 
No, that is just your own uh, ignorant opinion. And, um, but, you know, you're not changing, in some cases, you're not changing people's minds or perceptions. There is, it's what it is. It's what it is. Um, and move on go find other people that are willing to support us and love what we're doing. And that's why I think it's fantastic that we have this partnership with the Grand Valley Safari Club here in, here in the Cochrane area. And, you know, they host this fundraising dinner uh, for us and we put, you know, 300 people in a room and it's like-minded ranchers, uh, you know, rodeo guys, hunters, um, men and women and, you know, and veterans and first responders. And um, it's a great evening to celebrate, you know, our way of life. Um, it goes back to when my, you know, great-grandparents homesteaded in Montana in the 1880s, um, where you had to put, if you didn't go out and get that deer, you weren't eating that week. Um, you know, it's a valuable skill hunting and uh but then we put all these people in a room and you know it's incredible to see the reaction when i bring veterans who haven't been to this dinner uh before as a guest and they just see like the outpouring of generosity and kindness and respect uh and love and admiration for men and women who at the age of 17 18 19 volunteer to sacrifice their lives to defend the freedoms of the people in this country. And how do people find out more about the veteran hunters and get in contact with you, Todd? So one of the best ways to get a hold of us is through our website, www.theveteranhunters.com. If you scroll all the way to the bottom, our email is there, info at theveteranhunters.com. But if you scroll through and look through our entire website, we have um, short clips to our TV show. So you can actually look at the clips and you can actually see us doing things and then, or, or look at our YouTube channel, the veteran hunters and see um, our pheasant festival. And you see other people, not me, you see other people talking and sharing about uh, their experiences um, with the veteran hunters. Um, and if you're interested in donating or sponsoring or partnering with us, um, there's a donate button on the top right of the website, as well as if you click on the TV show tab, at the top of the web um, web page, it'll take you to the TV show, and there's some opportunities to partner with us there as well. One of the things that's advantageous to having the, the TV show is that if you're an organization that wants to help fund the veteran hunters, one of the ways that we can pay back and, and thank you if you're um, a corporation or a business um, is that we can advertise for you and and. So you donate to us as an organization and we can pay you back by giving you some advertising through the organization and then write it off. Perfect. Todd, thank you, brother, for joining me today. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. Uh, Love what you're doing. Keep up the good fight um, for us all. Thanks. All right. Stay on the line, Pat, throughout the outro. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. We are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible. With a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. 
Please support this mission by subscribing to and rating the show on your favorite podcast channel, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Anchor, or anywhere else. By doing so, you'll help others find the help which just might save their life. Also, please help by sharing a link to the show on all of your social media channels every time a new episode drops. And always remember to recover out loud. Bye.